morning and welcome to your daily game face. I'm Dr. Kim Landon. I am here with my I'm figuring out a new word yeah. for you. Oh, great. My yeah. fantastic oh, thank you. producer Lou Blasi. He doesn't like lovely because I was too loose with it. He's very loose loose with it. <laughs> and I'm joined today with um Gusto. I love the words that I can Gusto. Come up with. Gusto. I, like it. Yeah. Frank I haven't heard Zimetti that one in a while. From the Boston Bruins. And he's with the Ruins Alumni Foundation and a whole bunch of other foundations we're going to talk about today. But I did bring him in as a guest today mm -hmm. because I think it would be fantastic as we go into winter to talk about all the hockey sport ideas that people can do. And Wait a second, hockey just ended. I know, yeah, but it's coming back. <laughs> I know. And you've got to have kids starting up. Yep. All right. Jeez, always heckled. Um, but before we do start, as I always have to catch people up, my cat, Mush, is doing fantastic. Oh, he's really? Not, he's not dying this week. This is a positive. I heard he was with the vet, yeah. <laughs> okay. He's been with the vet a lot, and I'm bleeding out monetarily. <laughs> and I yeah. have a wing now in my name. Well, it should be in my name, but it's not. Um, and so he's doing fine. And condolences out, actually, to my husband's family. Um, yeah. We lost my brother-in-law last week to um, COVID, secondary to COVID and pneumonia. So uh, he passed away last week, and my condolences to my family but my husband's family as well um and so anyway so now we're here today to talk about uh um hockey and sports and sports psych and all kinds of great things yep. and, and frank simonetti was with the boston bruins from 1984 to 1988 36 years ago in three days just to be clear <laughs> thank you for that <laughs> <laughs> well i i was looking up some stuff this morning and i was like oh it's he just had his anniversary. Yep. October 4th. Just missed it. <laughs> Makes me feel a little bit old, but again, but thank you. But you don't look old. Oh, that, appreciate that. So if people aren't watching and they're just listening, he doesn't look old. He looks yeah. great. He right? looks not a day over 32. Ooh. Well, hockey okay. players age well. Exactly, because they're in good shape, right? We are. We are in good shape. Sometimes our hips fall apart, but well, uh, so far knees. so good. And knees, and knees if you're yeah. goalie, right? Yep, yep. Um, and the exciting thing I love about, this is going to make him feel old too, so in 1984, um, when I was not, you know, in my 20s yet, um, he was at, you were at Norwich at yes. the time. So I'm from Vermont as well, as we know, and so that's exciting. I did a parade in Norwich at Norwich University because I was Miss Vermont Teenager in the time that he was doing that. So no that's idea. my little connection. I second, this, is no, <laughs> this is Norwich, Vermont? Yes. There's it's a North, Norwich. It's Northfield, Vermont. Right. Oh, okay. Uh, is where the university is located. Right, North, yes. Oh. But it's, but everyone in Vermont, we call it Norwich anyways, because it's just, that's, that's what's that's there. there is. is. That's it. It yeah. is Norwich, well, Vermont. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, that was, that was, it's a beautiful little town. It hasn't changed much. We went up for our uh, 35th on the, the Still looks the same. They, ch they changed one store in the middle of town. That was it. There you go. <laughs> um, so what was it like um, doing hockey and being up in Norwich? Well, interestingly, I, I wanted to play for the University of Lowell because they were a powerhouse at the time yep. coming out of uh, high school. But the coach didn't want me. So um, You weren't Canadian. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, the Lowell made their living on Canadian players right. right yeah and they they had an absolute wagon so mm. uh the coach of Norwich at the time don cahoon yeah. was recruiting me hard and several other players from the middlesex league and i had uh an affinity to possibly joining the military Norwich is a military school 
So when they came knocking hard, I went up to, uh, to Norwich and enjoyed it. Uh, it was right for me. Uh, the discipline was good for me because um, I was balancing a mechanical engineering degree with soccer and hockey and class government and having structure uh, through all that is what Norwich provided. Uh, I got a great, great education uh, and the hockey was fantastic. We were, uh, we were very good. Uh, we didn't win any national titles, but we... we, we, we you were, were a solid we, team. We were a solid team, yeah. Very good. And um, what made you, because you just mentioned soccer, were you as high-level soccer player as well, or was it something that you were doing as just something to keep in shape? Like a lot of kids have two sports or three sports, and you transition. Like what made you go towards hockey over soccer? Um, well, I was, I was a fairly high-level soccer player as well, uh, four-year starter with the uh, Norwich cadets uh, but I always I love soccer and mm -hmm. I, I possibly could have pursued something in soccer um, but I used it as a cross-training tool for hockey mm -hmm. so as a, as a soccer player at Norwich I would miss anywhere between three and five weeks of the training camp season, development right. in, into the season for hockey the further we went in soccer playoffs but I'd walk off the soccer pitch and into the locker and put on the skates and still be in better shape, right. faster, quicker than, than most of the players uh, on the ice. So it was a perfect tool for me. And uh, it was interesting when you transitioned to professional hockey, they didn't let you do those things right. like play soccer, soccer. in the offseason. And, I, and I, it, I felt it hurt me because it was part of my... Uh, uh, like training, training, like training regimen, right? It was a, it was a great way to stay uh, fit and agile. So see, that's what I and Lou, we talked about this. I encourage a lot of my young athletes to do cross training with other, like if they have a main sport as a primary and doing something else because it does add to it. And I find that when people turn pro, like when I was doing gymnastics, the same thing. I wasn't allowed once it went to that level. No, you know, no skiing, no skiing, anything right, that could right. break an ankle, right. a leg, yeah. or anything like that. You weren't allowed to do that. So, but um, I'm big push on cross training for kids because if you have soccer, I mean, the agility, the flexibility, the speed, or if kids are in even football, um, trying to get them to run and get more speed out of it to give the you know the lung capacity or whatever right. it is, trying to cross train. There's there's another aspect to it, mm -hmm. and that's maintaining your interest in the sports right. you love. Uh, growing up. In Stoneham, in Massachusetts, every kid my age, their parents watched the, the Bruins win Stanley Cups right. and Bobby York come to town in 65. So we all played hockey. And we played hockey 11 and a half months a year, yep. four or five times a week, sometimes three and four games on a Sunday. Sunday. It was hockey, hockey, hockey all the time. And at one point I said, boy, I just don't like it anymore. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm losing interest. So then I looked at the soccer piece. So you'd be forced to take that break during uh, what you'd normally be playing hockey to play soccer. And when soccer was done, my motivation to get out on the ice was, was tremendous. So right. it kept my interest level high in hockey. What age was that about? Because last week, I think it was last week, I was talking about how kids burn out between like 12 and 14 years old usually, like when they get pushed to the level like every day, right. multiple games and so on. So I started soccer in eighth grade okay and it was interesting you mentioned that because I watched a lot of kids in the towns we played against who were phenomenal hockey players right. but right behind them was a uh, 
stage parrot. You of know, course. Who's running up and down the stairs, uh, stands yelling, yelling over the uh, ice, the glass to the yeah. player. And I saw a lot of those kids just drop out of the game. Yeah. Close friends of mine who were very talented, more talented than me, quit the game because of pressure from their uh, fathers mostly. And so that's, so that's one of the main things that I work with in sports psych is that parents, predominantly fathers in soccer and in yeah. hockey, is that fathers are very pressure-filled. I've seen a few mothers as of late in the past decade or so, but mostly dads pushing, you know, it's the, it's the traditional psych, psych issue of yeah. living vicariously through your child to go, you know, because every child is, of course, going to be an Olympian or they're going to play right. for the Bruins or the Canadians or, you know, the, whoever, but they're, everybody's the star athlete, and so you can feel the, in, the intensity yeah. in the parent and not in the kid or somewhat in the kid but the parent is just completely overwhelmed with how much amazing status they're going to get from their child <laughs> it is. And, and, and looking back now was often the parents or the fathers who who didn't accomplish much in sport right who wanted their child to do better than they did right uh growing up and uh <clears throat> my father was one of my hockey coaches for years mm -hmm. him and his uh his, his friend bob santoro and he had ulcers Mm -hmm. from dealing with parents who would yep. push them to play their kids more right. and insult other parents' kids in front of the kids, say, my kid's better than that kid. Yeah. My kid should be out there more. And and uh, my dad was more, no, everybody gets to play. You right. know, we're all going to win as a team or lose as a team kind of yep. approach. And that's something I've carried with me. Uh, my whole life. And so that's the whole premise of sports psychology work that I do is making sure that there's more team, it's more about, you know, the broad stroke of everyone getting the opportunity, not like just pushing towards one or someone being forced to do something or, or overriding another kid just because, you know, politics or someone else right, getting right. in the way. And there's still so much of that. I mean, I get called in for consults all the time on that stuff. And you would think that I mean, 30-something years has passed since we were in sports. Just saying that one more time. Just saying, it was me too. It was me too. I was still, you know, I just have to say it though. I know. Um, but it's it's still the same. I mean, it's not as bad in some of the sports because, like, Cambridge soccer for a period of time went to silent games because of parents. Yeah. Did you know that? This was I years ago. Know, Cambridge, I, I years ago. They did that. that for a while. And, and, you know, not recently, but they had to because it was... It was so intense, and people screaming and swearing at their kids and each other, and fist fights in the stands, yeah, and yeah. over. It's like okay, it's just a game, but it's not just a game. It comes into this. Hockey lends itself to that as well. I was a USA hockey official for about twelve years, and every year I was let out of the rink by cops right. at one point or another. And every year there was an incident, and and it's you've got your parents separated from the ice. By the glass, they think they're anonymous, but they're up there screaming and yelling, and, and they're going at it. And it's like it's unique to that aspect. And every game from peewees to squirts all the way up is the seventh game of the finals. Right. Every game. I had I had parents on the ice at one point. I've seen that many times. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just opening the side door and coming on the ice. It's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> well, you do a YouTube search, and you can see plenty of parents coming on the ice and confronting referees and getting in fist fights, and it's. Uh, it's a bad mark for hockey, and it's a worse mark for parenting. It really is. And it's, and it's not just sport-specific to hockey, because I see this in soccer, hockey, ice skating, gymnastics, swimming, uh, baseball. I mean, it's just 
you you can do YouTube videos on that. I mean, they're out there on the same exact thing. It's that phenomenon, whether it's really a phenomenon, I think it's just the vicarious learn, you know, p piece of parents trying to be what they're not through their kids. It's just the intensity that they want their kids to be number one. They feel so slighted emotionally if their kid isn't the Olympian on the floor or the rink, the you know, the deck, and it's yeah. not healthy. But it's well. And it keeps kids away from doing the sport. My favorite that. story, though, I was, I was doing a game, and I threw a zero tolerance at a kid because he skated by me after I called him on a penalty, and he slammed a stick on the ice, and that was USA Hockey's thing at the time. Any overt gesture had to be penalized. So I threw a zero tolerance at him, extra two minutes. I'm in the room with the two referees going on and two referees coming off, and there's a knock on the door. And one of the guys goes, who is it? <laughs> And a woman goes, can I come in and talk to you guys? And the four of us looked around the room and said, it's a woman. We can take her if there's a problem. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. And she came in and she looked at me and she goes, you gave my kid the zero tolerance. I said, yeah. She goes, what did he say to you? I just want to know if he's going to have dinner tonight or not. Oh, my and God. I goes, oh, he didn't say anything. And I explained to her, he just he slammed the stick on the ice and that's an overt gesture against the referee. I got to call it. Really not that bad. You can feed him tonight. But it was an interesting exchange yeah. because she was ready to discipline the kid for what you he did. You weren't expecting that one. I wasn't no, expecting right. that, no. I was Good expecting getting called out for the zero tolerance. But Right, yeah. that she was trying to make sure her son was doing the right thing. Yeah. Which is really, I mean, there are parents out there like that, but that's the exception to the rule because that's usually to come to attack you for, you know, doing something. So right. it's a, always a surprise. That one stuck with me because it was a surprise. Yeah, yeah. it is because that's unusual. I mean, as a coach in gymnastics, I've been yelled at. I've been threatened yep. <laughs> I've, I've had to throw parents out of meets out of gyms because they're just intense and kids burn out so that was to the frank's point right. is that kids end up between the ages of 12 and 14 roughly in psychology we know that the burnout rate happens in youth sports around 12 to 14 years old is that they intense intense play and then the parents tap them out essentially that's the number one factor for the pressure well if you're being embarrassed on the floor the ice the court by your Parents, parents during a game, during practices, whatever, you're going to walk away from that. Most kids are going to walk away right. from that and say, you know, it's not worth it. Right. Plus, plus, frankly, you guys, you talked about the one sport, one sport burnout because, you know, when I was young, played everything, yes. right? And I, I was a hockey player. I loved hockey. That was most of it. But I played everything, and kids don't do it. They do 12 months, as you said, 12 months a year playing hockey, and you get burnt out. How many years can you do that before you get burnt out? It's almost like a business now. People yeah. do see traveling teams and more well yeah. we can get to that but yeah. uh now that nhl players are making good money mm -hmm. right uh people see that as a avenue towards college scholarship right. yep. professional contract and fame and fortune and i believe it's less than half a percent of all hockey players, players can make right. it to a professional level yeah let alone the nhl so it's a it's a bad gamble if you will right uh but, but if, don't downplay the college scholarship because a lot of parents are, pay, are paying for that and playing for that. They're trying to get a scholarship out of right. their kid. Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, and listen, college is what it is. It's, it's hyper expensive, and there are a lot of scholarships out there if your kid's decent. Right. It doesn't have to be an NHL-level player or a pro-level player. Right. You, can get, right. you can get some money, which is going to help every family. Well, and, the, and it's more likely that kids will get the college scholarship, but it, it's the yeah. same thing we've talked about before, is that, it's, and it's not sports-specific, it's that 1%. So people, you know, my frame of reference is always gymnastics, obviously, because of what I did, but it's the 1% of the 1% that right. make it to the level that I did. It's, you know, 30 girls on the the team and X, right. Y, and Z. It's only that one percent, but you have the, the 
you know, the outset of everyone thinks that all their girls or all their boys are going to be famous and on TV and they're going to be superstars because they don't realize that there's a million children playing hockey right. or there's a million children doing the sport and that there's only 1% of that 1% that get to that level that are going to do it because that doesn't register. When I say that to parents in the office or I'm out, they just look at me like, Huh? Yeah. <laughs> because it doesn't register that that's such a big number. They, you know, small pond, and you know, and everyone thinks that they're in the same place, but they're not taking into the consideration that everyone around the country is playing yeah. or doing sport, and they don't do the math. And so, forget little... your kid making it. Your kid may not ever meet a kid who's going to make it. Right. You, you right. could play for ten years and never play against anybody or meet anybody who's going to be a player. Right. That's how. That's how the chances are. Right. Yeah. But the, but every but I always tell I mean I never discourage anybody from doing it. I just want to put it in perspective yeah. that you know play your hardest, play for fun, make sure you do the best you can. But know that, as you said, sometimes it's at the right place, the right time. Sometimes who you know. It's the same thing with me. It's one of those things where you just don't know. It could be the right day, and the judge loves you, and you know, or or you write you know you get the goal, or you don't. It's just one of those things that luck of the draw sometimes. I was at a customer once and. Uh, I was introduced to a mother whose child was a hockey player and uh, she said, you know, you as a former professional, she'd like to talk to you about her son and, and, and you know, should she put him on this junior team or dinner. So we talked for a while and I went through about a 15-minute uh, recitation on why I thought he should play on his town team and, and tr local travel team versus paying the ten thousand yeah. dollars or whatever it was going to be to join this uh, junior team with no guarantee of playing time, and I, and I went through it all. I said, you know, if your if your child is good, scouts will find you, will find him, and I thought I made a very convincing argument. Mm -hmm. She said, oh, thank you very much. We're going to sign him up for the team. <laughs> so I mean, she, I think she wanted me to tell her it was the right decision, right. Right. and I didn't, and she said, well. Yeah. Exactly. What do you know? Right. right. You didn't tell her what she wanted to hear, so forget yeah. it. I'm out. She didn't even wait till I left her cube. You know, it's just, you, even, you know, we're gonna sign them up. How often? I said, okay. Yeah. How often, Kim? Get when dismissed. people? How often when people are asking questions, are they looking for benediction, not an oh, answer. They're not looking for an opinion. Right. They're looking for a backup. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Self-verification yeah. theory. You yeah. know, it's everyone goes looking for the opinion that they have that will verify their own opinion. So right. of course, you know, I wanna I wanna be right. So just yep. tell me I'm right. It's all good. Um, so, so moving a little bit beyond like the youth part and going into older hockey and older playing, you know, late teens, early twenties, making it, you know, semi-pro or pro, and then people with injuries. I often talk on the show and and with my clients about you know their identity being wrapped up in their sport and what happens, you know, if you get an injury and um, and that's the question I get posed by athletes. I'm injured. What if I can't play anymore? What's going to happen to me? I don't have any other skills. I'm going to college for X, but I don't really want to do that. I always thought I was going to be a pro hockey player sure. or whatever. So you had injuries, um, but your story is probably a little bit different than people that are like, you know, broken back or, you know, I don't know. But how do you not fall into that thing of I'm only hockey? Well, let's look at at it from the context of within the team yeah. once you're injured at least back in the 80s <clears throat> you were part of the team but really not part of the team you'd go into the training room at a separate time you know and the guys were out practicing or having meetings and you weren't always part of that you weren't included right uh, now i think it's different right. I, th I think the 
organizations are very protective of their investments, so they include them. But back then, I, re I remembered <laughs> if you were on the ice recovering from an injury but weren't playing yet, one of our goaltenders would not let you shoot on him in practice. If you're coming down in a drill and you're <laughs> playing and you go to take a shot, he'd step out of the net. And the first time he did, I said, what are you doing? He goes, well, you're not, you know, you're not playing. You're recovering, so I don't want to field your shot. <laughs> next, <laughs> next time down the ice, he stepped out of the ice, and I drilled him. <laughs> you know, I said, sorry. If I was playing, maybe I'd be a little more accurate, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> but, but, oh, I um, love that story. But I think people who are uh, players who play uh, maybe an extended period of time and, and their lives are wrapped up in their sport, if they have a career-ending injury, you know, and there's no hope of going back, you know, I, th I think those players probably can fall into depression mm -hmm. very easily right. because uh, you, know, I, you hear stories, you probably know better than I, that you know, maybe some of the football players uh, can get scholarships yeah. and maybe not have to go to class, maybe not have to get a, right. a, a degree that's, that'll, that'll carry them after their sport, and they are truly in a hole right. where their sport is their livelihood and their identity, right. so uh, I, 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 I feel for them and the, and the challenges that they, they face. Um, but I think a lot of players now they're so active on social media right. that they can keep their identities uh, prominent in, mm -hmm. in, in the public eye if they're out recovering from an injury or if they've had to retire from a sport. So in many ways, I think the social media aspect hurts players if they overshare, right. but maybe it helps them feel uh, attached to their sport, right, attached connected. to their fans, connected is right, the word, right. uh, if they're injured or they have to retire uh, unexpectedly. So, um, because, I mean, so to that point, there's um, several athletes over the past couple of years that I've had that all of a sudden scramble, you know, in those positions, even in, I have a hockey player that has, has been scrambling to try to figure out what they're going to do with their career or, you know, there's no other hobby, there's no other sport, there's no other alternative to do to fill in that space because they know, they've seen other people come up the line that are, mm -hmm. are becoming more depressed or they're coming anxious. It's more anxiety, I think, with some of them is that now what? The worry, sure. the threat generation of, oh my God, my life is going to be over. And it's literally that commentary. It's my life is over. My family's going to think blah, blah, blah of me. It's very negative, and so it's very it's depressing it's for them. death of self, right? Right, yeah. right. It's the whole identity has been wrapped up in that, and, and I see it across the board in all sports. But I think, you know, that's why I was wondering about hockey specifically because I sort of see a range, whereas in football I absolutely see it's all or nothing much more in, in that age range. Before pro, they go pro, but then – Pro is a little bit different because there's money already there. There's mm -hmm. other things that are invested. But with hockey, I see the the kids and the the young adults coming up through. That it's much more wax and wane. Of well, they've got other things. There's also family support that's a little different. So, is it just do you think maybe a different breed of way that people look at it? Is hockey just a different way of um, this, the the culture of hockey being set up like that? That it's not quite that way for hockey players at the older ages. You know, twenties. Well. Hockey players have always had the reputation of being one of the most accessible athletes mm -hmm. uh, for public, for press, uh, for charitable endeavors. They really are out in the communities. 
um, and they typically have a strong uh, family unit, right? Right. Uh, many of the hockey players uh, get married at a young age, you know, and they start families. So uh, I'm looking for the word, uh, but I, I think they're very well grounded. Right. A lot of uh, hockey players, because of how they grew up in the in the leagues that they played in and the camaraderie that they had with their teammates, and that stays with them as they move from league to league. And I think if I look at what we're doing today with our alumni team, so mm -hmm. we, we have a team that plays 25 to 30 games a year. We're very close even after retirement. And if somebody has an issue, falls on hard times, the other guys are there to help them, uh, you know, emotionally, sometimes financially, sometimes with job networking. So uh, I can't speak to the other sports professionally, right. only what I see. Uh, but from a hockey perspective, it's it, it seems very family-oriented, team-oriented, camaraderie-driven. So I, I would agree. So I would agree. I mean, that's my experience with seeing that, you know, if there's a difference between sports, I would say that that's for sure. And it's interesting, and I don't know if this is on purpose or not, that, and you also went to Norwich, so you were doing, you know, the military thing, that Frank has a huge investment in military and giving back to the military community with Warrior for Life Fund, which, if you're interested, I will repeat this several times, warriorforlifefund.org. You can go online and look up all the information on it, and we'll talk about it today, but I just want to make sure that people have that so they can go and look for more information. But the military aspect that you come from, and then it's the camaraderie that people, you know, people that I see veterans all the time, and we talk about what has kept them as sane as they can be when they come back from war or they come back from a, a deployment um, is that they have the camaraderie, they have the connection. So it's similar to the way that you describe hockey. It's a similar way that I experience it, that the sport and then veterans or people who are still active are similar. So I don't know if you find that or if that's just kind of a thing that you that just happened upon. Well, I think it's the brotherhood of going through a shared experience, right? Yep. Whether growing up through hockey or going into the military, from whatever walk of life you come from, mm -hmm. you've gone through the same boot camps or training camps, right. uh, combat games. You know, you can you, you can draw parallels between the military and hockey, and probably all sports, but hockey in particular. What I've found in dealing with veterans uh, through uh, Warrior for Life Fund and the efforts we have with the Boston Bruins alumni team raising money for uh, veteran causes is. Um, is hockey players and the elite special operator community, like mm -hmm. the Navy SEALs and the EOD technicians and Navy right. divers, uh, Rangers, Deltas, all, we've met a lot of those guys and they're very similar to hockey players. We're very similar to them. I, right. They look at us and they go, wow, hockey players. We look at them like, wow, you guys <laughs> do with that. So we have this mutual admiration society, right. but the same basic principles are there, right. brotherhood, teamwork, and we we mesh really well uh, as two entities coming together. Um, so I, I, the military taste I got at Norwich mm -hmm. uh, bode well for me uh, through my education and my sports, and I can see where you know the discipline that the military guys go through in their shared experiences mold them into just character individuals mm -hmm. 
that I like to think most hockey players are. And, and you know, it's, we're very fortunate to help them for all they've done for our country. Not just special operators, but all, all right. but all service members. Um, so we're we're happy to to do what we can with them. But uh, again, the shared experiences are key. Yeah, universal shared experience. I think. I, I mean, in in terms of like groups working well together, in terms of teamwork, that's always across the board. Whether you're working in athletic athleticism or uh, military or people in addiction, we've talked about like the universal shared experience is what keeps people actually healthier and it keeps people coming to each other to make sure that they ground, whether it's for help or not, or just a, you know an ear or just you know just to go out and have fun together. So, uh, I would imagine that's probably one of the biggest protective factors that answered my question from before about why you know there's strength in hockey players also not only family but there's that universal shared experience right. similar to military um, when when guys come back and women too that have that shared experience so let's talk a little bit about warrior for life fund because so warrior for life fund also is uh, it helps with the navy seal foundation or you guys are working together and you're in your in your one of the co-founders correct I am. Okay. So the, the story goes, uh, a good friend of mine, Tony Cabana, from, he works at Cross Insurance. He's a big sponsor of my bowling event. And he came to me about, it was going on three years ago now. He says, Frank, uh, I was watching Lone Survivor. I got interested in the Navy SEALs for what they've done. And I tried to figure out a way how I could help them. Right. Who, is anybody helping these guys? And he stumbled upon, upon the Navy SEAL Foundation. And he picked up the phone right away, called the president, and uh, said, hey, I'd like, I'd like to do something. My company maybe would be interested. Can I come down and talk to you? She said, yeah, absolutely. Comes down, he's talking to her, and he sees a hockey puck sitting on her desk. He says, what's that? He goes, oh, this is down in Virginia Beach. He goes, oh, uh, one of the active duty SEALs started a hockey program here, and we're, we're big supporters of it because it's used for therapy, yeah. mentorship, I mean, there's a long list that we can go through. Uh, she goes, he goes, I was a hockey player, I want to meet him. So she goes, here you go, go talk to him. <laughs> they hit it off, uh -huh. and uh, so the, f the following year, Tony invites me down to, to meet him, meet the other guys that are playing in this hockey program, uh, and with the thought of maybe building them a, a little locker room because they were playing in a converted grocery store, nice little ice surface, but not appropriate, uh, or not enough for, for, the, for the breadth of the program. I shouldn't say appropriate. Not conducive for the, what you need. Like the needs weren't going to be able to be matched. Right. right. We're turning away players. We're turning away sled hockey players. There's a lot right. of things going on. So I said, geez. Uh, I mean, I, and I, we played in a couple of memorial hockey games. So there's some Navy SEALs that were killed in action and each year they do two games honoring those guys and it's only Navy SEALs and their families right. playing in the game and Tony and I and Bobby Beers came down from the Bruins, right? right. Bruins alumni. I walked away from that three-day meeting with these people so jacked up to help them because I didn't realize how much hockey has helped me in my life until I saw how much hockey and how important hockey was to maintaining uh, their mental health. Uh, and, I, and I thought back of to my evolution and how I relied on hockey to make me better in everything I did. Right. 
and I came back and I was on the phone to people with the Bruins, on the phone with the people of the Bruins alumni, you know, sharing the story, wrote a, I wrote a missive out and sent it to all of our guys, and people started getting charged up. So the following July when we went down, I said, hey, I'm going down again, we're gonna do the, boom. Everybody, Six yeah. other guys wanted to come down, uh, and we had to turn a couple away because we're in development. Uh, and over the course of that time, we founded the Warrior for Life Fund, which kind of made it official <clears throat> that we are an arm, hockey-related uh, therapy tool, if you will, to help people when they come off deployments, to help ease their symptoms of PTSD, to help with their sleep deprivation issues. They come back and when you're, you're married to a, a Navy diver, and he, he spent a lot of time with these Special Forces guys. They know what they do. He's doing a lot of that himself. And there are issues yes. when they come back. And a multitude of family yeah. issues, health issues, physical issues. Yes. They, get, they, get, they come back broken. Yes. And getting on the ice to them is a relief valve right. for any number of issues. Uh, and one of the cool things that I, I never would have thought of is if one team guy was deployed, and his son's at home. One of the guys that comes off deployment, who's also a hockey player, would swing by, pick up his son, and take him to the rink and make sure he got his ice time, make sure he got his mentorship. You know, his dad's going to be gone for six months. Right. Right. And the other team guys would take him under the son under their wing and, and, and help mentor them. So he always had a father figure in a time during the war on terror when people were deployed six months, nine months. That's and right. it was very important. So it hit me like a sledgehammer how critical this was and how important hockey was. So we are trying to, through the Warrior for Life Fund, grow the hockey programs that benefit our veterans, our first responders, our disabled hockey team, because there's a lot of people that come back with missing limbs, right. uh, paralysis, uh, vision issues, hearing, hearing issues. issues. So all this comes in, there's a funnel we have, you know, Warrior for Life Fund is a funnel and we're trying to bring interest and dollars to help these guys down there have, that have done so much for our country over an extended period of time. It's going well. Uh, our goals are to grow the program. Right. Long-term goal is to get them a new facility, right. and we're working with the city of Virginia Beach right now, uh, close to get them, uh, getting a land grant. And mm -hmm. Once we get a land grant, we're going to start an active fundraising effort to uh, raise the money to build one or two sheets that is very veteran and active duty centric. We nice. take care of our, there'll be commercial stuff as well, but mostly focused on the veterans. And and families too, right? I Because I, and families, families yes, right? It's, it's, so the family participation, absolutely. so the kids of the veterans or people, the wives, everyone can participate. So in these memorial games I was talking right. about, you're sitting on the bench with, you know, I'm watching, can't, some, some names you can't mention because right. they're still active. Right. Joe, we'll call him. Yeah. Joe is out there, and Joe's wife is next to me here, and Joe's son is over here. Yeah. All right, and it is smiles a mile wide. Yeah. They're having the best time. They're bonding with dad. They're bonding with uh, fellow team members, and now. Well, it's a big family. It's, it it's, is. It's creating another interconnected family of universal shared experience to it keep is. people connected. So now we've been down there for three summers. Yep. And we are raising the Boston Bruins profile. Yep. and the Bruins alumni profile in Virginia Beach because if you look at it, it's 300 miles from North Carolina, right. the Carolina Hurricanes. It's right. 300 miles from the Washington Capitals, Capitals, right? 
and it's kind of no man's land. Right. And it's also the densest active duty and retired population, military right. population in the country. And these people are coming in from all over the world and all over the country. We're converting Flyer fans, uh, L.A. Kings fans, to Bruins fans based on what we're doing in Virginia Beach. This is Beach. a good secondary game. I know, right? I know, right? Uh, and, and, Go for it. And, and, well, it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> get nesting on the cable system that day. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if people are buying in to watch the Bruins game, but it's, you know, teamwork makes the dream work. Absolutely. And we have the Bruins alumni, the yeah. Boston Bruins, they fund uh, a cookout down there, and they sent all kinds of swag right. for us to give out at the hockey clinics we right. do. So it is truly a win-win-win for the for the Warrior for Life Fund with the proud support of the Navy SEAL Foundation. They're, yeah. they're a big partner of ours. We're, we have theirs as well. The Bruins alumni, it's our go-to non-New England charity. So right. it's kind of our... our Your baby. Our, I don't want to say pet charity. That's, no, but that's it's, a, I'm, it's, a, it's, it's a baby. baby, right? It's it's where it's... It's like your core, like the center of who the Bruins yeah. are yeah. Is, is right there. And the and the Bruins' involvement is huge because right. they realized that one of the first questions was, uh, are you dealing with any other NHL teams? You know? Right. I said, no, it's just the perfect we want to be in. And Kevin Miller, yep. who um, just finished up his uh, contract with the Bruins, huge supporter of uh, special operations and military and especially the Navy SEALs because he had one or two f uh, friends he grew up with and he has been a tremendous uh, proponent and he helped drive our involvement with the Bruins and we're hoping Kevin gets brought back in, into Boston or land somewhere else but he is even even uh, three weeks ago he working with Warrior Hockey sent a laundry list of equipment for us to outfit guys who want to get involved in our program who've never skated or skated 20 or 30 years ago they want to get back into back skating in they sent us down all the equipment we need to outfit these guys and that's the second time Kevin and Warrior have done that so hats off to both uh, Kevin and, and, and Warrior Hockey because uh, it, it means a lot to the people down there that's, so, uh, so on your website, the WarriorForLifeFund.org that is out there, and I and I've seen that you know there's the different levels of pledging, and you know yeah. your standard money donations. Is there other ways that people can get involved? They're not down in Virginia Beach, but you know here we are up in hometown. You know Methuen, Melrose, Stoneham, Tewksbury for some of us, right? How do people get involved if they can't maybe donate? This is a hard time because of COVID and things going on monetarily for people. Is there other ways that people can help you guys out? Well. Right now, we're kind of Virginia Beach-centric, right. and I think once we get our feet on the ground, we'll be able to expand and, and support teams outside of, of that uh, environment, that right. community. We're not there yet. We're, mm -hmm. we're still fairly young. Last year, uh, if, if we didn't have COVID, we'd be doing that again right. probably now or in the next couple of months. We coordinated a Bruins alumni, New York Rangers alumni hockey series over the course of a weekend where we played at Bentley Arena mm -hmm. uh, on a Saturday, and we drove down and played at Madison Square Garden the next day. It was a tremendous success. We had several Hall of Famers, Ray Bork, Joe Mullen, uh, Brian Leach, Brad Park, uh, John Rattel, you know, coaching and playing. Yeah. And it was the first game we were knocking the rust off. We lost that game in Bentley. <laughs> second game in Madison Square Garden, we, we took it to him. <laughs> And, uh, Wait a and second, John Rattel was playing? No, no, he coached. Oh, okay. He coached. <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. It, it, it would have been nice to see him on the ice. Yeah. He probably could, I bet he could still play. Think so? Uh, yeah. He, he's one of my favorites. 
But this event, there was a tremendous outpouring of interest. So yeah. we, we packed Bentley and they put almost 4,000 people at MSG on a beautiful October weekend. I yeah. mean, it was so nice. People, the last thing they wanted to do was be in a hockey rink, right. and yet they came. Okay. So if we were doing that again, that's where It'd the local people it. can come because hey, you can buy tickets to the game. Right. There'll be auctions, signed memorabilia, yeah. one-of-a-kind stuff that would come out of that event. And, and that's what people could do if we locally if we have that game again. But following us mm -hmm. on our Instagram page, our Facebook page, and you know just keeping tabs on what we're doing and maybe they can't donate but maybe they know somebody who okay. can maybe they know somebody who is uh, favorable towards the military and, and they might be in, want to be involved in a capital project you know because right. we need to raise several million dollars right. here and, and I noticed not to interrupt you but I noticed that you're online today it said you're at one point four million dollars but you're looking for 3.5 million for the rink build right I mean that's kind of my understanding of what I saw so yeah, I, I, roughly we could always use more because right. the, that the four million is what we need then to go out and get a matching type of loan right, right. so the more we can raise the, the bigger the, the loan to the, the less the, the right. debt on a loan so if we have if somebody came and tomorrow and said boy I love what you're doing yeah here's ten million dollars put my name on the building we're we're off and running. So uh, it, I wish I had ten million dollars. <laughs> me too. Me too. <laughs> but you know we can pool. <laughs> not after not after Moosh and, I know. and what's going on with the cat. Yeah. But there are a lot of good people out there with big hearts and we hope that people take a look at warriorforlifefund.org and if they see fit to be able to participate in whatever fashion we would appreciate it. Yes. Well, I, I will keep, I will obviously keep pushing that because I'm a firm believer in your foundation and of course the veterans, because I've been working with veterans in psychology and PTSD and mm -hmm. Navy SEALs. I have multiple Navy SEALs in my practice, both active and inactive um, and retired. So it's, this is one of the bonding things that Frank and I have together, <laughs> along with the fact that my husband entertains him thoroughly oh, <laughs> with <well>. his stories. <laughs> Here's a quick story of, yeah. of why I love going down to Virginia Beach and spending time with these people. So our good friend, Ryan Crowley, who just retired after almost 27 years as a SEAL officer, mm -hmm. he's the one who started this program. Mm -hmm. He uh, was deployed, uh, stationed in Rhode Island, and he said, I like hockey. I think I'll go buy a pair of skates. Yeah. And then he took it to the level of now forming this group. He just moved into a house, and Marie and I, my wife, went down to help him get settled in. So I'm training for the Pan Mass, and I bring my bike, right? So I go out. It's, it's like 92 degrees. It's hot. I'm, I'm out riding, and I'm flying around. The roads are flat. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling it, right? Boom. And I hit something, and I got a flat. Okay, no problem. I fixed a million flats. I fixed the flat, and the tube was defective, and it depleted. Now, you go out with CO2 cartridges, right? You, get, you carry two. Two, right. You carry two tubes. Yeah. So the tube was gone. Now that CO2 was gone too. So the next tube I fit in, I put the valve on the CO2 cartridge and it starts to dissipate on its own. I'm going, oh no. So now I can't fill the tube and I'm sitting there. And all that time, four or five cars stopped by on this desolate road. Are you okay? Can I help you? You all said, no, I'm all set. I thought it was all set. All set, all set. Now I'm up Leaps Creek. I call Maria. 
who had just gone out for a run. I said, Maria, I'm sending you a pin. I'm stranded out here. No sooner do I say that, the pickup truck stops. You need a lift. I said, I do. Let me call my wife. You're off the hook. Boom. <laughs> so I get in, and I look at this guy, and he screams, team guy, just yeah. by the way he is he's fit, he's young. I said, are you in the Navy? He goes, yes, lots of people are in the Navy. I go, oh, uh, well, you look like a Navy guy. In fact, you look like a particular kind of Navy guy. And he wasn't giving anything yeah. out because it's yeah. operational security, right. all this stuff. He goes, so why are you down here? I said, well, I tell the story about Ryan, retired, buying a house. And, uh, and Captain Crowley goes, who's that again? I said, Captain Ryan Crowley. He goes, pretty sure I, I know that name. Um, and he starts asking me more about what I'm doing, why are you here? I told him about the Warrior for Life Fund, about hockey. He goes, do you know this guy? Do you know that guy? So now I know he's a team guy because he's now he's all these team, team guys. guys right? yeah. Pull up to Ryan's house. He goes, Ryan Crowley. I said, hi, I'm, by the way, I'm Frank Simon. He goes, hi, I'm Sean. No last name. Yeah. yeah. No yeah. I go, <laughs> but the fact that he would stop yeah. On his way to the office, probably. Yeah. Right? To duty. <coughs> Pick yeah. me up. Give me a ride because I'm stranded. That's kind of the way those guys are. Yeah. They're so humble. They're so helpful. Yeah. And and everybody we've run into in Virginia Beach in this community has been 100%, whether they know who you are right, or, or not. not, they are so nice. And it's, again, that shared brotherhood, whether you're in the Coast Guard, down all the military is down there. Yeah. And we deal with all of them. And they're just so well, nice and supportive. It's team and family. It's team and family. So so much so. Yeah. So so this is so to his story. So we were as a quick aside here. So we were going up to the mountains last week, and I just wanted to go up and hike Lonesome Lake, which is a lake, which is a hike right up around the White Mountains. It didn't happen completely because because speaking of John, my husband, who we were he was referencing about yep. you know people helping, we got stuck in the McDonald's parking lot because he found the need to help somebody. So it sure. made me late and I couldn't get to my hike, but it's because of that exact yeah. thing is because we were helping these two young kids who their battery died on their way back from their hike. And we were stopping for a potty break and John came out and said, we have to pull the car around the other side. Cause we have, so an hour later, we're yeah. still helping this. <laughs> so, but that's exactly what we do that. I mean, J John's just like, he'll, and I would do obviously, but John has that, it's that Navy yeah. camaraderie. Yeah. Everybody gets help. I mean, we stop for all animals, which obviously we stop for all people, everything all the time, because that's, it really speaks to most people that I know that are in the military will do that. Right. And, 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 and doesn't matter what level, it just, that's what people do. And it's such a nice thing to have because you don't get that across a lot of other people no. <laughs> as we talk about Lou so Frank if you've ever heard some of Lou's and my banter about the fact that you know we, people aren't always you know no loving no a little research yeah. Kind. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so I, I think it's fantastic and you know, obviously you know I'm a supporter of the warrior for life fund and and also um, I met Frank through doing charity work um, he he also works with New England Disabled Sports and is with the bowl you know with the bowl with the Bruin, which is for the Pan Mass Challenge and Dana Farber Cancer, and one of the best events other than my own that I do in the year is the bowling event that we just did. I came in seventh. Did you? My team came in seventh. Did you see that? You you're improving year over year. <laughs> <laughs> Your team came in first. 
No, no, oh, I no. I, I was well. well I, you were like I was, the MVP I was, or I was top alumni bowler, but that was luck. Oh, just, okay. Just so happened. So bowl with a Bruin, actually. So if you want to do something locally, this is another yep. great thing yeah. because it helps Dana Farber and it helps in the Pan Mass Challenge. But the bowl with a Bruin is every year and five years, and you raise three hundred thousand. Over two hundred and fifty thousand, okay. yeah. Um, and we do it in Tewksbury, and it's lots of fun. And it got a little moved off this year. We were supposed to do it in May, and we just did it a couple weeks ago, and it was beautifully done with the social distancing like they did it in two sessions and we had a great time well, and knock, knock on wood we haven't heard of any covid, COVID. outbreaks from our well, it's event it's been a few weeks now so i think i think we're good we would have right. been called with mm -hmm. all this contract mm -hmm. tracing so we were we were quite nervous so just to step back a little bit oh, yeah. the boston bruins foundation uh put a team into the pan mass challenge 15 years ago this mm -hmm. would this was our 15th year and it started because terry o'reilly and gary doak two former bruins uh got involved and they convinced Bob Sweeney who had just taken over the reins of the right. Bruins Foundation to put a team in uh, and Bob took it and ran with it he rode for about the first seven or eight years I've been riding since the second year so this was my 14th year and every rider has to raise this year was five thousand dollars right right and for the first nine years I was uh, and just asking people for money like everybody else does, can you donate, can you donate? And my friend Rich McDonald uh, had an idea. Wamasset Lanes in Tewksbury had just opened. Right. Gorgeous facility. If, if you haven't been down there, people, it's if amazing. you like bowling, uh, they have a great sports bar. I'm, here I am shilling for them, but they've done a lot <laughs> of great work for us. He has a lot of fun. He, uh, he says, we should do a, a bowling tournament yeah. to raise our money. Yeah. All right, instead of asking, I said, great, let's, let me get on and visit with you and... I saw this place, I said, Rich, we need to turn this into a celebrity bowling tournament. <laughs> Make it big, right? like, big or go home. You know, there's a million celebrity golf tournaments, right? Right. Where, yep. And you get paired up with whoever. I said, let's do it for bowling. And it went from zero to 60 very quickly. And I forget the numbers. First year, 16 lanes, right? There's yeah. 36 lanes in this facility, right? We had 16, we sold them out. Next year, I said, you know what? Can we rent the whole facility? Can we take over the whole facility? Yes. Boom. Yeah. We got 34 out of 36, and we just crushed it. And each year it's grown, and it's almost like a Mardi Gras event, it right? It is. It's so and much it, fun. It, and, and players are interacting with the bowlers, and kids are doing the arcade, and there's, you know, sponsors, and it's wonderful. Yeah. This year with COVID, we pushed it out. We didn't know if we were going to have it, but many of the people who bowl the team said, hey, let's do this. Yeah. Let's do this. So, you, you know, you worry that people won't come. We no, all came. We all came. We all showed up. We spread it out, two groups, and it came off wonderfully. I think, well, we'll hit 50,000. Yeah. And if everything comes in, we might even hit 55,000, which in this pandemic era, it just shows you how wonderful People the supporters are. of our event, of the Bruins Foundation of Pan Mass and Dana Farber are. They are truly uh, wonderful people. And, and it's a great event for people that want to come locally if they want to get in touch with Bowl with, Bowl with the Bruin and, and you can go online yep. to look at that and you can either sponsor, you can yep. play. Right. Um, have you set up for next year already? So next year will be May 23rd. It's always typically the May. Sunday before Memorial Day weekend. Right. That's our stake in the ground. So we'll do May 23rd. Uh, hopefully we're, there's a vaccination and we can get back to Mardi Gras atmosphere. But you're right, go to bowwithabruin.org. We'll be updating our website uh, soon with the new dates. 
Uh, we start taking team reservations in January, sponsorships. We, we love in-kind donations. Uh, we love uh, donations for prizes and gifts. Yeah, and I was going to say swag if people want to do any kind of swag yeah, donation. Yeah, and, and, and people are getting a lot of exposure who uh, support us You know, with swag. They, they get social media exposure. They get website exposure. They get celebrities walking around with their gear for the whole year. Um, and it's, it's a win-win for people that are involved in this event. It's fantastic. I can truly testify to the fact that it's... It is a hoot. It's so much fun. It is a hoot. Yes, and and John Horrigan, who, strange connection, John Horrigan is the announcer for the Bruins alumni, Mm -hmm. Um, and John Horrigan and myself go back 20 plus years because he and I were in a movie together, so sometime I'll get John Horrigan to come in. I won't even have to speak. He'll do the entire (laughs) interview. And he's awesome, and he will be able to give us lots of extra information because he has lots of inside good stuff on on all the entertainment aspects because he goes throughout the whole um, bowling area, and he talks to every single person and yep. gets everything possible on everybody to know, and it's lots of fun, so he's great. And Johnny's the grease that makes that thing run. He is. He's he's amazing, and he's and he's so much fun, and I think that he's um, he adds to bringing people in. I think to to the to the program. So um, I, I'll try to get him to come in. I'm sure he'd be happy to. And he's a cat lover as well. So <laughs> he's a cat lover. <laughs> he, oh well, there you he, go. And he loves mush. So we love that. Um, so so you have. Are there any other charities that you're working with now that would be important for people to know about? Well, there's the Boston Bruins alumni team, yes. which is in its fifty soon to enter our fifty second year. Founded by. Milt Schmidt and Eddie Sanford in 1968. Okay. Okay, so it goes way back. Uh, so Eddie and Milt ran it, then John Busick ran it. Yep. And then Bob Sweeney took it over, and then Terry O'Reilly for a short time before he took the coaching job in New York, and Rick Middleton has run it for the last, don't call me, but it's probably 11 or 12 years. And each each guy that took it over has elevated it. We play, again, pre-COVID, up to 30 games a year all around New England. Last year we helped raise over $750,000 for different charities, many of them military uh, causes like Skate for 22, um, for Why Me Foundation, which is uh, for children's cancer, Mass Down Syndrome, who I think we've played 15 consecutive years and have helped them raise one point two million dollars over those fifteen games, and we have a lot of repeat. We'll call them customers, clients, partners, if you will, that come back every year. So we would go. We go to their city, their town. We play them in their venue. This year we're doing something different, and a testament to Rick Middleton and Mark Walland, our mm-hmm. uh, vice president of media. The charities are coming to us, so we can keep. Uh, control the arena, the locker rooms, make sure they're clean. clean right. uh, we have certain protocols in place, mask wearing when you come in. When you're on the bench, you got to flip your gaiters up so you're not breathing on each other. Four-on-four four game versus a five-on-five, five, no f- no face-offs, almost like almost like uh, pond hockey, right. but control, we have a referee. The big get here, though, is we have three cameras recording the games. Yeah. Uh, we've created Bruins Alumni TV, a YouTube channel, which we will record the games. Mark will package it up into a 45 to one hour program with interviews, game footage, highlights, uh, sponsor uh, exposés, so that 
now the charity can take that package and, and put it out to their supporters and we'll have uh, areas on the website to solicit donations and what I think is going to happen here Kim is we were always very local to that charity now with YouTube can be seen everywhere internationally but nationally we might start generating interest for our charities uh, around the world right. and it might take some time sure. but we are going to move into the digital era where this might become the hybrid norm. We might go out and play some games, but also play games in our home arena. Much like the, let's, let's look at the uh, the Bork 7.7K, right? right? The road race that we've been doing the last few years. They also a very fun event. Mm -hmm. Right, and we support the Bork Family Foundation in their events, their road races, their uh, golf tournament, and their galas, which yeah. we've been to. But Ray and the, his foundation, like many road race charities, biking charities, did virtual runs this year and virtual golf tournaments this right. year. And guess what? They raised more money virtually than they did with their standalone events. So moving forward, charity is going to be hybrid now. They're going to have an online or virtual f element and, and a physical person. element. And it just brings... Because well, it gives the options. It gives people the ability to right. still do it even if you can't show up. Now the people that weren't showing up before because of something, now they can still yeah. do it and you couldn't do that before. Yeah, I was going through the log and I said, oh, People are running in Saskatchewan for Ray. <laughs> so, how great is this, right? Yeah. That's so, awesome. So, and, and, and that's not a unique story to charities now because right. everybody's evolving. Right. And everybody wants to continue to keep their continuity and their partnerships right. with their charities and their supporters. Because once people, you know, it, it break their chain of uh, thought on those kind of things. Then it gets lost. Then you lost. It's tough right. to bring people back or they find something else. If you're not offering an outlet for right. their charitable endeavors, they'll find something else because People who give, give all the time, time right. right? So uh, the Bruins alumni, great group. We have about 50 guys locally. Right. So one, you talked about the uh, hockey players. Yeah. I see a lot of you know, basketball, football players, baseball. When the season's up, they're, they're vapor, right? They go yeah. back to wherever they're, they're going. Hockey players, a lot of them retired in Boston. Right. They played, or even if they went to another team, yeah, they come back here. They and come stay back and they here live and say, right. for a lot of reasons. One, uh, the strong presence of the Boston Bruins. Right. Strong presence of the Bruins alumni right. and the charity work that we do, uh, not only in hockey but we play golf tournaments. We we're, we're out there. We're in the community doing things. So we have a big pool of players to draw from to play in these games. In fact, Rick's got the toughest job because he's got to say, nope, sorry, you can't play this game. We've got enough guys, and he's doing a, you know. Uh, Marshawn game, not a Marshawn, a game to make sure everybody gets in the, Into in a, the mix, a shuffling, yeah. Yeah. draw names out of that. Whatever, whatever he's doing is working because yeah. everybody gets a chance to play, and uh, and we, you know we, we don't if we don't if we don't see each other every month or two. It's like Something, where you been, dude? Yeah, you know exactly. what's going on. <laughs> so very tight. Group. Well, then it goes and it goes back to the family and the camaraderie and the universal shared experience you guys have, and I think that's I think it's important for kids I know I try to gear a lot of this to families when I talk about like health and wellness and you know and how kids having that kind of an example of how a sport can morph into something so philanthropic and you know humanistic and really caring about the community um, and and people often ask me like you know why do you stay in sports you know what this is a big piece of it I love doing the community service the charity work finding great places to put my efforts in when it, you know people say what do you do because you work all the time and and when I'm not working I'm still doing these things and 
it's not work to me. It's something I love. And so it's like what you're saying. Yeah. You, and if people are watching and you can't see Frank's face, I mean, there's there's that <laughs> energy and, and light because when you get into something that you love and you have that passion behind it, it's the same thing. It's right. it's not work. It's it's work, but it's really not. And it's, it's throughout your life. So you're even if you're traveling, you're on vacation, you're still working because you're still talking about it. You're networking it in and you're always being there because you're encouraging people but youth and and sport and activity to keep your life kind of moving and centered and it's a great thing which is why i love these foundations that you work with and they're near and dear to my heart i love them so i encourage people to come on board okay i always put people on the spot near the end right yep okay so he's like oh god okay <laughs> so if you can think of one or two tips for kids coming up through that want to be professional hockey players and they want to play for the Boston Bruins or they want to play for whoever they want to play with but you know Boston Bruins obviously for us um what would you say to them there's more than one tip awesome um, give me a, all of them <laughs> one have fun I mean that's yes. number one yeah listen to your coaches uh practice off the ice yeah so you know they have all kinds of training tools now where you can sit in your driveway with specialized pucks and you can do stick handling drills and because if, you, if you're only thinking about the game while you're playing the game you're not going to improve your game right okay and the other thing I tell kids is when you're when you're playing a game and you've just finished your shift watch what's going on on the ice don't sit there head down you know water looking around talking watch and you, you'll know the players that are playing well, look at them, see what they're doing, seeing how they're positioning themselves. Right. Um, when you're watching a professional game, if you happen to be in the building, yes. okay, like at Boston Garden, watch a guy like Patrice Bergeron, mm -hmm. who plays the game the right way. Yep. He's never out of position, he's never making the big hit, but he's always making a hit, you know? Right. He's not laying guys out, he's... Consistent. He's consistent, he's unselfish, he's plays hurt, uh, he's a team leader just by what he's doing on the ice. Off the ice, he's, I hear he's tremendous as well, as is Char, as is Kevin Miller, as is a lot of the guys the Bruins right. have. But watch the player in your position when he's on the ice, when he's away from the puck, not right. just when he has the puck. And I tell this, when we do a lot of camps for, the, for Tommy Songen and the Bruins, uh, they have community camps all across New England in the summertime. And, all of us rotate through and we get to speak to the kids. It's not about scoring goals, right. you know. You know, a, an assist setting up your buddy is it's, as rewarding, regardless of what you might be hearing from people in your life, right? right. Teams win, individuals don't win. In hockey, right. if you don't have a strong first, second, third, and fourth line, you're not gonna win the Stanley Cup. You're not gonna win your league. You're not gonna win your right. local championship right. because you have one stud player. It doesn't work like that. You have to play as a team. And the last thing I'll leave you with is set goals. Yeah. So if you are a peewee and you know next year you're trying out for the Bantams, set your goals and say, I'm gonna make the Bantams teams. What, and then what am I gonna have to do to, to do that? I'm gonna have to put on ten, uh, five pounds. So you start lifting weights maybe. Right. Uh, you start eating better. You stay away from the video games a little bit more in practice. You do some cross-training. And and I've heard from a few parents, which is kind of nice, after I give one of these little speeches, you know, little Johnny came home and said, Coach Simonetti said some stuff that actually made sense. <laughs> I go, 
that that took me to a whole different level. I was so happy to hear that because you know, you know, sometimes it goes in right. one ear and out the other. You know, set goals. I mean, you you want to be a college player. Set some steps to uh, to getting there. Right. Making this team, making that team, doing right in schoolwork, making sure your academics are. Uh, squared away because right. if you flunk out you, you bet guess what your parents aren't gonna let you play and if you're in college the school's not gonna let you play so get your education because most likely you won't be a pro but you will need to uh to lead a professional life after that he should he should come and work with me every day and <laughs> yep. talk to all my athletes because this is do right. i not say these things yeah this he's it's like he was reading my mind well it, seriously it's because these are the these are the things that really keep kids growing growing up into good solid well-rounded yeah. human beings as adults right i really i mean i firmly believe that it's I a mean. skill set you need for life yeah yeah so good, a good way to put it yeah excellent which this one is, of your five nhl goals if i'm going to ask you which uh, one stands out tell me the story oh the one that's not on the score sheet uh oh so, <laughs> I'm like waiting. I'm like, oh, yes. we're so, hanging on that one. <laughs> so I'll, I'll do this real quick. So graduate from Norwich University, right? Division three school. I was an All-American. There was talk of maybe being drafted or being scouted. Mm -hmm. We saw scouts every once in a while. But yeah, no. I was curious about the undrafted path because that's going to yeah, be an yeah. interesting path to the NHL. So I was invited by Joe Lyons, who was the Bruins' local New England scout, to play on his summer league team in Hingham, which was a mix of a few NHL guys, mostly AHL guys, guys that have been drafted, D1 guys, and guys with a chance. He says, you know, we'd like you to skate on our team. If you do well, you might get an invite to camp in the fall. I said, well, okay. Played in the summer league. He says, boom, you're coming to camp, mm -hmm. right? So, I, and I, I had had two offers in the engineering world. Uh, so I, ha I had some job security already. So I went in this thing like, what have I got to lose, right? Mm -hmm. So we skate for a couple of days. They have a rookie game where all the rookies get on to Hartford and play the Hartford Whaler team. I did well there. So the first preseason games was actually a two-game series with the Buffalo Sabres in Rochester and then in Lake Placid. We're going to get on a plane Saturday morning. And Jerry Cheevers was the coach. And old school, you know, right, wrote the roster on the piece of paper and stuck it to the bulletin board. So everybody's huddling around, and I just... Next I just to his up. horse picks. Probably. Next to his horse picks, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> so I just walk past going, there's no chance I'm going, right? Yeah, yeah. Somebody grabs me and says, Simonetti, you're on the trip. I look at it, right? I go, oh, wow. Mm -hmm. I sh shook my head. I walked into Coach Cheever's office. I said, hey, uh, Cheesy, because we all call him Cheesy. You know? I'd known him for four days now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they were close. Maybe yeah. I said Coach. I probably respectfully said Coach. I said, uh, I have a problem. Goes, Just like this. Frank, what's your problem? <laughs> I said, my sister's getting married tomorrow, and I'm in the wedding. Oh, no. Oh, my God. He goes, oh, what time's the wedding? Ten o'clock, ten thirty, whatever it was. He goes, uh, "Do you think you could be at the airport by one o'clock?" I said, "Yes." He goes, we'll, "We'll hold the plane for you." Wow! I said, "Wow, he's right." Yeah. Now I'm like, <laughs> "Woo!" Right? Yeah. So I, I go to the wedding and I don't remember anything about. I'm it. I'm sure all the players love that concept too. <laughs> well, <laughs> so 
So I don't remember anything about the wedding, but I race down to Butler Aviation, the private airfield, right. because it's a hop, skip, and a jump. I walk on the plane. I am the last guy on the plane, right? The veterans, you know, the guys like O'Reilly and Bork and, and Middleton, they don't care. They're okay. It's the younger guys. Yeah. The guys who are second and third year, they're going, who the bleep <laughs> is this, right? <laughs> so we, we fly down to Buffalo, I mean, to Rochester. We check into a hotel. Everybody grabs a nap. That's the way they do things in hockey, which was weird at the beginning. I came to love it. Yeah. A little nap before a game. So we're walking from the hotel across the parking lot to the Amherst Center, and uh, Tom Fergus, he goes, uh, so, uh, Simonetti, you're an engineer. What, do you drive bleeping trains? <laughs> <laughs> I said, uh, no, I, dr I designed them. Yeah. Right? And I kept walking. And, oh, steam was coming out of his ears. Because like, his buddies were going, oh, my oh, God, right? Yeah. So, so we, 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 we clashed for all the time we were there. And, yeah. Uh, but we, we're, we're friendly now because, again, yeah. we've gone through the same struggle. So, anyway, I play in those two games. I did well, scored a couple of goals and assists. And, and I, I kept playing. And I played in ultimately nine of the 11 preseason games, right? Yeah. The last game is at uh, Providence Civic Center against the four-time defending Stanley Cup champion New York Islanders. Oh, no. Billy yeah. Smith is in that yeah. bossy, goring. Yeah. The whole crew is there, right? Because it's their last game, our last game. I'm on the ice. I scored the winning goal in overtime, right? I had signed my contract on the bus on the way down. <laughs> this is weird, awesome. My parents are in the stands. Now, so that's my favorite goal. Yeah. Of, and uh, so, all during training camp, guys are being sent back to the down to the minors. Guys are being sent to juniors. Guys are being released outright. Nobody tells me anything, and I don't. I don't have a mentor, like coming from a Division three school. I don't. Nobody I knew went through this. Right. Nobody went to training camps. I finally go up to the assistant uh, equipment manager. I said, "Hey, Bud, Bud Carpenter." I said, um, "Where do I go?" She says, well, you made the team. Oh. Boom. It's you like, heard it from the equipment manager. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I, apparently, you're supposed to just shut up and, yeah. you know, skate your lane. So I'm thinking, oh, wow. And this has never happened. Uh, there weren't a lot of, there were American players on the team, but not a lot of them. Certainly not a lot of free agent walk-on Division three. It was a lot of yeah. defensemen in camp. Right. Yeah. So two days later, the we're playing in the Hollaback Logan golf tournament and down the South Shore. Something the Bruins always did. And I'm sitting there, and I wasn't much of a golfer, but I was giving it my best. And I see a cart coming out to my my uh, tee box. And this woman says, are you Frank Simonetti? I said, yes, I am. Uh, Harry Sinton would like you to call him. She gives me a phone number. I go, oh, well, wow. okay. Yeah. So I search for a pay phone. For all you kids out there, yeah, used to put a quarter in and call, right? Uh, and I said, Mr. Sinden, that's Frank. So he goes, Frank, you had a great camp, but we had a change of heart. We think you need some seasoning. I'm going to send you down to uh, to uh, Hershey, Hershey, yeah. Pennsylvania, yeah, yeah. to join that team. And ultimately got called up around Christmas time and uh, played my first game against the Montreal Canadiens in the Boston Garden. Six shifts. I remember them like. They were yesterday. Yeah. And uh, Tom Johnson, the assistant GM at the time, comes up with his cigar in his mouth. 
Kid, how'd you think you did? I said, I think I did pretty well, TJ. He goes, me too. Now, this is two days before Christmas. You're off for a couple days for Christmas. No one tells me anything again, right? The team's going for a 12-day road trip to the West Coast the day after Christmas. Mm-hmm. Hey, bud. <laughs> Am I playing? Am I? <laughs> Where do I go? Because yeah. I figure I'm, I'm on the, you know, yeah. after Christmas going back down to Hershey, right? Because you're on the flight. You're on the team. Pick out some sticks. You need a dozen sticks. And that was it. The rest of the season, nice. I was up with the team. It was kind of cool. Great, it's you know. Very but cool. that goal, I will never forget that goal just because of the circumstance yep. and everything that went around it. Um, yeah, the goals were, were okay. Yep. You know? <laughs> hey, tell me, just quickly, just tell me a little bit about Hershey because uh, I've been to Hershey Park and I've seen that barn and it's fascinating. What was that like playing? Well, playing in that arena, the old Hershey Arena. Yeah, right. Beautiful, beautiful arena. It was interesting because the Bruins rented slots on the team. It was a Philadelphia Flyer organization. I see. Yep. So, let's say they were developing their own players sure. more so than you know. Yeah. So there were there were games when two or three of us would be waiting for our name to be called to jump over the the, the boards and. Coach would go, oh, sorry, I forgot about you guys. <laughs> right? It was, it was kind of strange. Yeah. Um, we'd get to play some games, some games not, and it was, it was a big letdown, if you will, yeah. from sure. the high of making the team out of camp to, you know, trying to make it on the minor league team, but eventually did. And, uh, but the, the park itself, I think by the time I got down there, it was, uh, it would have been mid-September, and you're playing games. We didn't. I never got to see the park. Oh, yeah. So, and then I got you called didn't miss up much. And, and never never <laughs> went back. Yeah. But but that arena looks so interesting, like it was probably a palace when it was first built. Oh, no doubt. But it was, it was like, there are professional teams playing in this thing? So they've since, yeah. since built a new arena, but they kept the old one, and they run special events in there, from what I understand, because mm-hmm. it is a, uh, it's a national treasure. Yeah. It really is a beautiful yeah. rink. Yeah. It was... It was fun down there. Again, the people were very nice. Rural uh, Pennsylvania, yeah. a lot of hunters, right? A lot of deer yeah. running around. It was a it was a different experience for me. I, I will, one little anecdote. So, uh, so you get sent down there, and they're in the middle of their training camp. So you're not going to play a game for another week and a half or so. And my vision was always bad, and contacts never worked mm-hmm. from a young age. So I'm playing with like 2100 vision, right? Which to think about it now blows me away. Yeah. And I'm reading through my uh, my uh, you know health plan provided by the AHL. I said, oh, free I contact lenses. And so I said, well, who's the guy? And I went to Harrisburg and got set up. He, he worked on a lot of uh, the guys. And I got my lenses the morning of the first game I played. And it was like somebody turned on the lights. <laughs> was, I said, oh, so oh my God. <laughs> I said, so this is the game. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, my God, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and thank, it helped me. If, if, if that didn't happen, that little piece, and then I got called up in December, who knows how that would have turned out right. if you can't see Gila Guy, Guy Fleur blazing by you. you. <laughs> oh my God. A lot of defensemen suffered from that. <laughs> well, in that, in that first game, he beat me at his blue line. Right? Now he's older now. Yeah. 
and I caught him from behind. Oh, God. Which, really? Yeah. So That's bragging rights. Well, it is. I usually don't say he was at the end of his career, but I did here because we're being honest, right? But I still caught him. Yeah. And, uh, but I was so hepped up on adrenaline that I, I probably could have caught anybody in that moment. Yeah. You know, it was, it was really cool. That's exciting. So we'll have to have Frank come back. See, Absolutely. I told you I needed two hours. Yep. We have, and people will have lots of questions. I know it. After this, I'll be getting hit up for what about this and what about that? And I'll field them and, and at some point we'll have him come back. <laughs> but just as a reminder, warriorforlifefund.org. Right. Bullwithabruin.org. Correct. Bruins alumni dot com. com. Yeah, Boston Bruins alumni dot com. Okay. Yep. Did I miss any? Uh well, the Boston Bruins Foundation, which does a tremendous amount for children's charities right. all over New England. And one I didn't mention real quick, I'll do it. The Honor Foundation, which helps special operators get uh, job training so that they can uh, well, find jobs after they retire. They're having a big event on uh, Veterans Day, live event with General McRaven, General Magata, Magata, several yeah. others. And we've asked the Bruins to be involved and uh, Kerry Collins, good friend Great. of mine, is coordinating uh, a small group to make a toast to veterans on Veterans Day. So check it out, thehonorfoundation.com. So Lou, we will put these up on the website yep. today. We yes. will make sure that we put up all the links on the website, my daily, your daily game face today. Um, make sure that I have them right. Um, but we have to go. This was fun. I it's very it. inspiring. I <laughs> love this. This is what I would love to do all day long. Okay. Just sit and talk to people about charities and doing good things and forgetting everything else in the world. <laughs> yep. Um, everyone, thank you so much for joining me this week. Have a fantastic, beautiful fall week, and you can catch this and all my other podcasts on your daily game face um, on all your favorite podcast Apple channels. Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Every, Spotify. Spotify. And almost it, everywhere else. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Thanks so much, Frank. Thanks, Kim. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Lou.